On today's episode, we break down part five of five on the customer journey series on the Catalyst by Jonah Berger. And we have covered all of it. We covered reactance, we covered endowment, we covered distance, we covered uncertainty. And today we covered cooperating evidence, which is the fifth, fifth and final piece of the pie that will make you unstoppable when it comes to growing and scaling your business. So if this is your first episode finding this series, I'm going to highly recommend you listen to this one and go listen to the other four. If this is you listening to the fifth one of all of them, I'm going to recommend you listen to them again, go through it again. But without further ado, let's cue the intro and let's get into the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. And today, it is part five of five of a breakdown of the book, The Catalyst. The number one most powerful, and I mean it, book, information, thing that you should memorize, read until it's flowing through your entire DNA if you have a business and you're in the business of helping people change. I've been breaking this down over the last five episodes, today being the complete one. If you are just finding this episode, this is part five of five, and part five will be helpful. But going back through part one, part two, part three, part four, part five will be powerful. And I think about this book all the time. Jonah Berger is an incredible author, somebody I've followed for a long time, and his work is powerful. And when we are in the world that we are as entrepreneurs or business owners or coaches or consultants or realtors, or even you work in a company and there is ever a customer in your company, which means all of you, we are in the business of helping people change. And it doesn't matter if it's a service, if it's an offer, if it's a product, you could even have like a house cleaning business and help change the people's minds whose house you're cleaning to change their behaviors to help your job become easier and help them feel happier through you cleaning their house. There are so many options, but I can never think of a point where you will never need understanding of human psychology and how to create yourself or to create a catalyst to help change anybody's mind. And so in part one, we covered reactance. In part two, we covered endowment. In part three, we covered distance. In part four, we covered uncertainty. And today in part five, we are covering the word that I struggle to pronounce all the time, but I love the word cooperating evidence. It is a weird word because something about those two R's together makes me want to say a W. I don't know, but it's cooperating evidence. And so if you've read the book, if you have the book, you know that Jonah's acronym is REDUCE. Reactance, Endowment, Distance, Uncertainty, and Cooperating Evidence. Now, before we get started, I actually have an ask of you really, really quickly. I haven't talked about this. I haven't shared this because luckily I live in a world now where my business isn't predicated on one thing. Uh, but our website was part of one of the largest data breaches in the history of me having a website. The entire Northeast data centers were storing sensitive information and they were basically hacked. And me and a lot of other people, and I mean big people that I'm friends with, giant websites you know of, our websites have been down for about 14 days of recording this and my website's gone. And so we get to rebuild our website from the ground up, which means every post, every podcast, every everything. And naturally because of that, 
a lot of people haven't been hearing the new podcast and a lot of the stuff hasn't been out. And so if you wouldn't mind, and I mean, wouldn't mind if this feels good on your heart, if it feels great to help, if these episodes have been helpful for you, I would love it if instead of sharing my website, you actually just share my podcast, whether it's on Spotify or Apple or any platform that you listen on Simplecast, which is where our show is hosted. It would be incredibly helpful for me because we definitely took a massive ding and I'm not worried about it because if you're listening to this, I love you. I'm stoked to have you and I'm so grateful that I have you. Uh, but a lot of times I do forget to share what's happening behind the scenes because I've done so much work to be able to navigate these challenges because they're guaranteed to come up. And this one was one that was unexpected out of left field. All of a sudden it's boom, we're in the middle of a class action lawsuit, which was already filed. And I'm just sitting back with a smile on my face and knowing that I'm great because my website doesn't determine my business. You do and me helping you does, but it would also mean the world to me if you could help spread the word about the podcast. This is wrapping part five of this series. This entire series is powerful. But I mean it, if I've ever done anything to help you, if I've ever supported you in any way, if anything I've ever shared has become a breakthrough for you and it feels good on your heart, I would love it if you could actually just go a little bit further and share my podcast with some people who've never heard about it, share some episodes to help counteract the dip because we lost about 50% of listens, which people will come back. But I think a lot of them are so used to the website getting updated and the emails going out and we've been unable to do that. And so I could use the love of the Relationships Beats Algorithms Army out here, which is you, to help me spread the word. And so with all that being said, that's all I got. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. We're going to get through cooperating evidence, and then we're going to wrap the Catalyst series. And then you're going to get ready for more book breakdowns because I'm going to start reading some more books, breaking down some books, outlining some books because the response has been incredible. And for those of you who have DM'd me to tell me to keep going, thank you. I really actually enjoy doing these and they're fun for me as reminders of books that like I read and I embody and I use over and over and over to be successful. And I want to share that wisdom with you. So now let's talk about cooperating evidence. Cooperating evidence is the fifth part, right? It's the, what is it in his thing? It's C and E, right? It's the fifth part of what's required to create a chat catalyst for change. And when you think about the word catalyst and what that means, it's not that we're changing anybody's mind. We're creating an environment, a container, a product, a service, a something that inspires change. And like I've said in every other episode, sometimes all five of these are required. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two random ones, but that depends on who, the what, and the when is handling or receiving your message and what you're trying to help them do. So in corroborating evidence, Jonah Berger starts with the story of a drug addict who didn't change until his family staged an intervention and all got together to talk to him at once. We have to understand that as humans, if we have an opinion that is important to us, whether factual or not, it will take more evidence to change because we naturally, due to our biases, will discount info that we disagree with. So more proof is required to create more certainty. And, you know, we covered uncertainty in the last part. And so when we understand that, we also have to understand, but if we keep repeating the same evidence over and over, the same words over and over and over, it becomes annoying. And you can think about the ways in which you do it. I mean, like I get annoyed at trainers sometimes and they keep telling me to move my body and drink water, not because I disagree with them, but because I know they're right <laughs> and it holds me accountable to change. But I also respond really well to people that lead by example and show me how by changing water, it's not making me healthier, but it's helping me be a better entrepreneur and a better father and having better 
energy, like Alex Scharf and our dear friend talks about with his hydration challenge. And so that's an example of cooperating evidence to where I understand I should be drinking this entire thing of water. I have a half a gallon in front of me and drinking two of those a day. And there's times that I don't prioritize it because my opinion at times gets into, well, my work is more important than the water. And then if somebody just tells me to drink the water as a reminder, even though I know it's true, and even though I believe it's true, there's times that I'm so committed to my current opinion that it doesn't work. But then when I'm presented with a different option or some different evidence or how that water and I take a break right now to drink it will actually increase my productivity, increase my effectiveness, get me more results and get me more time with my family because I have more energy. I'm like, holy moly. That's an example of cooperating evidence. And so instead of repeating the same message over and over, we figure out what evidence is required across the domain to get somebody to change their mind or to create more certainty. And so we are more likely to accept an opinion from another you or someone who is like you or someone who is like who you want to become in terms of likes, dislikes, concerns, and values. And this is a very, very important part. And I talk to all of my students about this, my one-on-ones, my mastermind members, my event people, about you can't just talk about the difference. You have to be the difference. You have to be the embodied different. If you teach people to celebrate their wins, you have to be celebrating your wins every day. If you teach people to do breath work, you need to show them that you're doing breath work and you're embodying the results that they can achieve. And so this is a big, big, big part of customer journey when I teach customer journey It's not just talking about it. It's actually showing it so much differently. And a lot of people struggle and I watch people struggle with customer journey or getting enrollment or getting opt-ins or getting sales, not because their information is wrong, not because their methods are wrong, not because their modalities are wrong, not because they don't have enough evidence, but because they're talking about the evidence rather than being the evidence. And that's just one part. And what we have to understand is that when we're in the business of changing people's minds, when we're in the business of helping them achieve a goal financially, physically, it doesn't matter what the goal is. One of the reasons that they're attracted to us to stick around is because there's a quality in us that resonates with them. There's a part of us that resonates with them. They're like, I might want to be like that, or I might want to exhibit that, or I might want to have that. And so it's really, really important when you understand that, that you have to continue to be that. And you have to be it more than you talk about doing it. And so when we're thinking about cooperating evidence, we have to understand that if all the people are saying the same thing at the same time, there really isn't a necessary, enough evidence that's necessary to create a tilt because it sounds like annoyance, right? Drink water, drink water, drink water, drink water. But if we have enough people that are being the example and talking about or explaining things differently with different evidence, and these people are like or dislike or have similar likes and dislikes to the person that we're trying to help and it resonates with them, they'll start to collect that evidence because it helps them understand that it's not just one way. And so when we think about corroborating evidence, one of the big notes that I have in here is consistency and congruency. And so it says if many people say the same thing at the same time, that collapses the time modality and there's a little bit of force that might get somebody's evidence up, right? That's what an intervention is. That's what he that's what he references in the beginning of this book to where if one person just keeps saying, hey, you need to change, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop drinking it kind of becomes an annoyance. But when every single person that that person cares about comes into a room and shares why and what and who is affected, it can create a catalyst in that moment. 
Now, typically online, we don't have that. We don't have 30 people at the same time jumping on a call or sharing all this evidence or doing anything like that. So what we have to understand is that consistency and congruency are huge because the biggest part about having corroborating evidence is understanding the who, the when, and the how. And so when I say consistency and congruency, we are not determinant. Like we don't get to determine how much evidence you need. We don't get to determine how long that evidence is going to take to create a catalyst for you. We don't get to determine which piece of evidence resonates with you. Our job is to be consistent and congruent, allowing you or your customer to collect as much evidence as needed to eliminate the uncertainty that we talked about in the previous episode to create certainty, which creates safety. And that safety allows somebody to commit to making a change and doing something differently. So I'm going to take another sip of coffee because I'm all fired up today and I'm, I'm hydrating with water. There is water in my coffee, by the way, just so you know, because I drink an Americano. So technically it's like 92% water and the rest is espresso, which also has water poured through it. So I'm, I'm technically hydrating and don't fight me in my DMs. I know I'm not, I'm very aware. So people are more likely to change if the people who are doing the thing are from separate independent groups because that provides additional information. So if one person says you have a tail, you'll laugh and think that they're crazy. But if three people say you have a tail, then you'll turn around and look, right? And so sometimes one person, no matter how knowledgeable or assured, is still not enough. It doesn't matter their credentials. It doesn't matter their expertise. It doesn't matter how much money they made or how much success they've had. Sometimes that's not enough to tilt. And I watch this in the entrepreneurial world all the time. I watch people be like, oh, I want to be like, just like that person. They've done $50 million in sales. And I'm going to ask them a question and they're going to tell me the answer. And I'd listen to them, tell them the answer. And then the person who asked the question discounts the answer and says, oh no, there has to be another way. There has to be another way, but it's not. They share the same way. And this has actually come up in my marriage a ton as well, which I am way better now. But there was a point in the past where I couldn't hear feedback from my wife. Because my wife would be like, hey, I think you need to do it this way. And I wouldn't hear it. But then three or four other people would say it. I would start to do it. And then I wouldn't give my wife credit for the initial idea, even though it was hers and she had been saying it the whole time. I had to learn that sometimes it requires me to hear it from other people, but I also shouldn't discount it on the front. And so one of the things I've worked on heavenly heavily for the last couple of years is receiving all feedback and creating a space for me to absorb it and look at it because now my wife gives me feedback and I've trained my muscle to be like, nope, she's right. She's right all the time. I'm going to do that. Probably why I have a happy marriage, but it's happened across the board and you can see it around your world. You can see it with people that you communicate with, that you talk to, and you can see and start to notice your patterns of collecting cooperating evidence that get you to shift or get you to change. And so it's not about how qualified you are or how much success you've had. And just because you've had that success and you're qualified and you say it to your customers and it's not enough evidence for them, doesn't mean that it's not the right evidence. It's, it means that sometimes we have to understand that people need to hear it from different people, from different classes, from different independent groups, from different stages of business to be able to relate to what's there, to give them the information required to collect that evidence and to make a change. And so sometimes, no matter what, some things, some offers, some people require more proof 
and they require more evidence to overcome the translation problem and drive change. And so I think about it like my son. My son is five years old. He's absolutely incredibly so smart. And there are times that I talk to my son and he gets it right away. And then there are other times I'll be trying to talk to him about something and he's not getting it. And if I just keep talking to him the same way and trying to get to the same result, he actually gets frustrated. He feels unseen. And then he starts to go on emotional tilt. And so it's not up to my son to change how he responds to my communication. It's up to me to change my communication to create the ideal response in my son. So sometimes I have to change words. Sometimes I have to take out a piece of paper and break it down. Sometimes I have to use stories and metaphors. And it's my job, as Jonah Berger also talks about in this book, which we covered in chapter three or part three, distance, that movable middle to where my son can hear me and the language that I'm speaking. And he starts to look at his evidence that he understands it so that he can create a change. He can create a behavioral change. He can do something in his chores to get a better result. He can communicate something differently to me and my wife to achieve a more desirable result. And so it's up to me to translate that. And so for me, when I think about a catalyst of cooperating evidence and where we reference in the book that it's sometimes from separate independent groups or different people or different things, sometimes that also means taking ourselves and keeping the same concept, but translating it into different communication modalities, making it more digestible, making it step-by-step, step, making it a pebble versus a stone, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And so, yes, somebody can endorse something, right? Sure. One person endorsed something, but what does their endorsement say about whether all like it? To overcome this barrier, catalysts find reinforcement and reinforcement is corroborating evidence. And so I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, consistency and congruency. And we see this in our world all the time. You've probably heard this. There's so many people that listen to this podcast and have been in my world. They're like, George, you're fucking crazy. I can't believe that. That'll never work. I can't believe it. And then I say it so much and so often, and I've said it for like six years. They're like, holy moly, I finally get it. It wasn't up to me for them to get it because how you do business is your business. How I do business is mine. And I love sharing mine because I believe it works, but you're not bad and wrong if you don't do it my way, but I'm going to say consistent and congruent. And hopefully at some point there might be enough cooperating evidence for me to create an openness to try something new. And if you try something new and it works, keep it and go. But if you don't, that's completely fine as well. But the more consistent and congruent I remain over a greater domain and a greater period of time with the more modalities, whether it's video or text or writing, the more evidence can be collected to make one decision or another. And so then when I take the concept of this and then I start including some of my clients' successes or some of my favorite people or my teams and not quote unquote sharing like what results they achieved in their business, but things that they took and how they experienced and what the breakthroughs were for them, it provides a lot bigger pool of evidence for you to collect that cooperating evidence. Like, oh, this might be worth a shot. I can fit this in. I can try this. This will help me positively. And you move in that direction. So Jonah breaks it down as pebbles and boulders, right? So he says, changing minds is a bit like trying to lift something on the other end of a seesaw. How much weight or proof you need depends on how heavy the thing is that you're trying to move. So if you're trying to lift a pebble, you don't need much. You add just a little evidence and it moves right away. Change happens. But if trying to move a boulder... Much more effort is needed and more proof is required before people will change. So what I said earlier, the who, the what, and the when is super important. If you're trying to get somebody to add a 10-second habit to their day, that's a pebble. 
If you're trying to get somebody to change their entire lifestyle, that's a stone. And you have to understand what the change that you're trying to accomplish is so that you can figure out the how, the when, and the who, the time that might be required or the evidence that might be required because we can change something in 10 seconds. It's not a big deal. But if you want somebody to change 36 years of beliefs and patterns, you're going to have to build a bigger container or a bigger customer journey. And so when I talk about customer journey, what I'm talking about is this. It's creating a container that allows somebody to collect enough corroborating evidence to eliminate their uncertainty from part four, to collapse the distance in part three, to start to let go of the endowment from part two, to make sure that when I'm sharing or speaking, they don't get reactants in their body that pushes me away. And all of those pieces together allow them to collect enough evidence to make a change that matches the level of, not to make a change, to to be able to make a commitment based on the change that they should be attempting or we want them to go or the direction we want to go and without trying to do it in a day or a week, but allowing them to do it on their pace. And at their pace, once the evidence is collected and they make a shift, they make a shift forever because all the pieces aligned and they felt confident to make that shift. And so that's what customer journeys are. It's creating a container that matches the desired outcome that we're trying to get people to achieve and then putting it and filling things in the middle that are consistent and congruent with where we want them to go so that they can collect the evidence required to make that decision on their own, achieve the result, and then continue with it down the road. And that's what a customer journey is. So like when you hear me talk about my events or my coaching or my consulting, like that's what it is. It's designing those for your customers so that you become a catalyst for their greatest change and they become a customer forever, obviously increasing retention, increasing revenue and increasing referrals. And so when you're finding cooperating evidence, it's important to consider the who, the when, and the how. So number one, who else should you involve or which sources are most impactful? Could be people, could be testimonials, could be research papers, could be articles, could be videos, could be podcasts. It could be anything that you want it to be that matches you and your customer and helps to create the bridge between the two of them. The second one is when to space cooperating evidence over time. Right. And so understanding that if you just want somebody to drink more water, it might not take you a year to change that habit. You can hit them consistently and congruently in the beginning and it'll change. But if you're trying to get somebody to change 35 years of patterns, you might need to intentionally plan to allow them to experience something in a container, in a Facebook group, on an email list, on a video series over 30 days where there's multiple pieces of evidence, whether it's a who, it's an expert, it's a testimonial, it's a client, it's a research paper that allows them to collect that cooperating evidence because that time is greater and the information needed is greater to make that change. And so it's not up for our customers to do, it's up for us to do with our customer journey. When we say we can help somebody, it's our job to create the container that can actually help them. And that's on you. And then part three is how to best deploy the scarce resources that you have or somebody else might have when trying to change minds on a larger scale. This isn't about posting 84 times a day. This isn't about you know recording 800 pieces of things. It's more so looking what you have and figuring out what is the minimum effective dose of this in this moment to get a maximum result. That maximum result might be a step forward. It might be evidence collection. It might be a commitment to an email list. It might be a commitment to walking. It's everything from the book Atomic Habits, which is probably a book I'm going to break down on this podcast since it's huge for customer journey and for you. 
So you ask who else to involve or what else to involve, when to space the cooperating evidence over time for that consistency and congruency, and three, how to best deploy those resources when trying to change minds on a larger scale. And so cooperating evidence helps change minds by providing social reinforcement. So similarity matters for changing minds, as we know, but it turns out diversity is also important. People were more likely to donate when the prior donors they knew came from separate independent groups. If one was a family member and another was a coworker, people were more than twice as likely to donate money. But if they were two family members or two coworkers, multiple sources didn't have as much impact. So when you're trying to change minds, you have to understand that not all proof is equal. So concentrating proof boosts its effectiveness and trying to increase trying to increase attention for a new service or an important social cause, you need to make sure that the different media hits happen soon after one another so potential supporters hear about it multiple times in a short period. And that period is determined by you, the when, right? And so when we think about customer journey, when we think about consistency and congruency, you have everything that has been covered in these five parts. You have to understand that the wrong things will create reactants in somebody's body and get them to run away rather than move in. Then you have to understand that there's endowment. There's endowment to their current beliefs. There's bias to their current opinions. There's things that they have residue built into that have to be undone. And then when you get into distance, you have to understand that if you're trying to change a massive thing, the distance required is going to be greater, but you're still going to have to find the movable middle. And in finding that movable middle, you're going to have to help somebody eliminate the uncertainty. And the uncertainty is going to be eliminated by giving them cooperating evidence that helps them see themselves as the person who can achieve that goal or who can donate that money or who can have that service. And the way that you do that is number one, by you being the example, and number two, intentionally designing customer journeys that allow this space to be required. So we're not trying to convince people to change. We're creating a catalyst that allows them to change, which is what the backbone of every successful business is built on top of. And so that is cooperating evidence. And that is part five of the customer journey series on the catalyst. And so I would highly, highly recommend that if you haven't read the book in its entirety, you read the book. If you haven't listened to all five of these episodes, that you go listen to all five of the episodes. And then I would challenge you to take the worksheet that I referenced in the last podcast, which if you want it, just shoot me a DM on Instagram that says Jonah Berger worksheet, and I will send it to you. And I will even send it to you with a customer journey training if you ask. So say, George, give me that customer journey training and that worksheet. And I don't need your email. You're not going to opt in for it. It's in a Google document so you can watch the video. But I want you to be able to have this and understand this, that this is why most businesses fail. This is why most of them struggle is because they try to accomplish everything in a day without realizing that we're actually making it harder for our customers to commit. We're making it harder for them to pay us. We're making it harder for them to come into our world because we haven't done the work required to understand the container or the customer journey that must be created to match the who, the when, and the how. And then we haven't filled it with the white corroborating evidence that accomplishes every other part that's required for a catalyst to happen. And so... That's my recommendation for today. I have about two minutes to go before I got to run out the door. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. I'm going to get this podcast up and then I'm going to start outlining the next book so that we can break it down. We can keep going. But I would absolutely love to hear from you after the customer journey training in the worksheet, what you thought of this series. Was it helpful for you? Is it helping your business? Is it any of those things? 
And I want you to keep your eyes out because at our events, when we have another one coming up in October of 2022 in Montana with limited tickets, this is all we cover. We build these, we design these, we help you create these containers. And so if you want to be on the waiting list for that, so when tickets release, you can grab one of the first spots, shoot me a message that says event. And I will send you the waiting list for you to sign up, get all the information. But this is huge. And I want you to understand this. And I will say this boldly and firmly. If you don't take these podcasts seriously, you will never have a business that scales because whether you like it or not, you're going to have to do this. And it's either going to be done now from a place of pleasure and possibility, or it's going to be done from a place of pain where it's potentially too late to make the change and make a recovery. So listen again, listen intently. Take many, many notes and implement as much of this as you can every day into your business, into your journey, into your team's journey, and into your customer's journey. And with that, have a beautiful day. So remember, relationships will always beat algorithms. You will either see me in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But now, it's time to cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.